Good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you have a Bible, please do keep it open at Isaiah 9. I know we have Bibles somewhere in the church. I think they're at the back in that cupboard. So if you want one, I can see Nick is racing to get a big pile. So please do at some point get one. Isaiah 9. And for this season of Advent, we're looking at this theme of light in the darkness. And if you've been to a Christmas service of any sort, if you've been to church around the Christmas period, I'm guessing you're pretty familiar with Isaiah 9. Yeah? Um, I'm so familiar with this passage that when I looked at my sermon archive, I realised I preached on this uh, passage eight times. Well, actually nine times, because I preached on it at the 9.30. So you can imagine the temptation this week. I was wondering if I could maybe, and I was struggling quite a lot, with should I just try and smuggle past a former sermon? I mean, it's not as if you listen to most of what I say anyway, so I thought maybe I could get away with it as a year's gone by. But you know what? As I looked at this passage afresh, I stumbled upon something which I think is fairly significant and profound that I hope will be a blessing to us all this morning. I think what we probably do with this passage as we hear it read, as we've read it in our Bibles, is we tend to skip over verse 1 or 2 quite quickly. There's a couple of tribes of Israel mentioned there, names of which are hard to pronounce, and we skim past that. We maybe jump all the way down to verse 6, the bit that we put on our Christmas cards. To us, a child is born, a son is given. And then those glorious four names, and Bible teachers love to then expound what those things mean. But you know what, as we start what is going to be quite a long series over all these Christmas services, Light in the Darkness, before we get to the joy of Christmas, before we get to the light, I want us to stay in the dark for a while. I want us to dwell in the darkness. I want us to look at this bleak theme throughout the Bible of darkness, to look at it squarely in the face and to address it. If you are the unfortunate one-third of the population that have spells of insomnia, you will know just how long the night time can seem as you lie awake, longing for the dawning of the new day. And as that light appears, you long to have some energy, just to function, and then power on with the day, looking forward to the evening again, where you'll hopefully close your eyes and open them. And seven, eight hours has passed just like that. None of us like drawn-out, prolonged times of darkness. And over 700 years before Christ is born, Isaiah addresses a society that lives in the agony of prolonged darkness. And as one, verse 1 tells us, it's a society that is sleeping under a large duvet of gloom and distress. Here's a question for us to consider this morning. What does darkness feel like to you? Now you might say that's a bit of a strange question because darkness isn't a physical thing. It, it, it's just darkness. How can it feel like anything? But during Israel's slavery, one of the plagues God sent to the people of Egypt was darkness in the land for three days. For three days it was pitch black. There was a deep darkness, just like we see in Isaiah 9, verse 2. It's that sort of deep 
darkness where you can't even see your hand in front of your face, where you can't make out any features or textures, where you can't physically move and you're just crippled by fear and anxiety. You don't just feel a bit lost and that you'll eventually make your way back, you are totally lost, totally disorientated. You feel completely hopeless, completely disabled. It's a very disabling kind of darkness. And Isaiah describes a world like that, a people living in deep darkness. And it was particularly gloomy and distressing for these two tribes called Zebulon and Naphtali. And it was distressing for them for a few reasons. Firstly, they lived in a terrible location. These tribes were located in the northernest points of uh, Galilee and Israel and uh, being up there meant they were very near to the Assyrians just across the border, the superpower of the day who would then invade and the first powers to fall, the first tribes to fall would be poor Zebulun and Naphtali. So time and time again they would be invaded, the land would be left in devastation it became a place that was known as a puppet state for the king of Assyria, who would be going back and forth, people would be sent into exiles. It was a land of desecration. It was dark because of the invasions. It was also dark because of these tribes' allegiance. This place would later be known as the Galilee of the Gentiles. And this is because they were not only vulnerable to invasion, but they were also vulnerable to compromising their identity. Time and time again, these people of Israel would compromise on their faith, they would marry the wrong people, and with that, they would end up worshipping the wrong God, and with that, they would get involved in all sorts of dodgy, dark practices of idolatry. And so this is why it was known as a dark place of sin, a Galilee for the Gentiles. These people weren't even real, proper Jews. And then it was also a dark place because of their knowledge. It was dark, really, because of their ignorance. Yes, they were hyper-aware that they were in a dire straits. They were hyper-aware that they were a disgraced people. But they were ignorant to know how they could solve it. And so you see, if you just look back, if you've got your Bibles open into Isaiah chapter 8, 22, it says that these people looked, they were looking towards the earth. Isaiah, in Isaiah 8, a few verses before then, before 22, Isaiah is describing a people that would go and consult mediums and magicians. They were going to those people to try and solve their situation. In other words, they looked to the earth and the earth's resources to help them. They looked from within and immediately around for help. And they were getting nowhere. What's the problem long-term walking in the dark? Well, I can say, and I'm sure this is something you can all relate to, I won't go into too much detail, but we all need to go to the toilet once in the night, surely, by now, yeah? And um, I live in a Victorian house, and they have their toilet at the very back of the house, and my bedroom is the very front of the house. They are the longest distance within the house to go from my bedroom to the toilet. And you know what it's like when you wake up in the night? You don't want to engage your brain. 
you keep your eyes closed and I, I used to be able to walk in the dark down every step no problem use the bathroom and come back and go straight back to sleep but that was when we first got married and we moved into the house then you fast forward a few years and we have a cat and we have a baby and if you're parents of young children you'll realize that as you walk around in the dark there are landmines out there you have all these toys at any point if you were to walk in the dark you could sprain your ankle cut yourself with something sharp you could fall down the stairs and so we see that there are dire consequences of living in the dark for too long for Zebulun and Naphtali they realized they were a ruined people it seemed that they were beyond redemption they were in a dark gloomy situation and it was only getting gloomier and this is why even when we fast forward 700 years to the time of Jesus uh, when the um, disciple Philip is told about Jesus this guy from Nazareth Nazareth was in the same region of those two tribes this is why he turned and said Nazareth can anything good come out of there that forgotten region that place without proper Jews that place of darkness nothing good surely could good can come out of there and as we look at their situation and as we think of today I can't help but see a lot of similarities that actually we also are a people that walk in darkness and we live in a very dark world in many ways we're living in a world where things seem to be progressing really well and so this uh, Stephen Pinker the Harvard professor and psychologist has done a lot of empirical uh, research about living in all around society all around the world particularly in the West and he's concluded that well we're living longer and we're living healthier lives empirically than ever before now that may well be the case but there's still a constant gloominess and distress in our land at the moment although things may seem fine on the surface in terms of health and in terms of uh, long lives uh, by and large at the moment we also live in a world where particularly for younger generations uh, they are experiencing far more anxiety and depression than perhaps we've ever seen there's a cover of darkness over us there's a real pessimism in the air where we live in an age of the new this age this new age of anxiety we can be anxious about uh, global terrorism about the environmental crisis and obviously masses of anxiety about global viruses it's a very dark land how do we dispel the darkness well I guess much like Zebulon and Nephtali we can easily turn to the earth and the earth's resources we may not go to mediums and magicians but we can easily be persuaded that if only we have the right technology if only we have the right innovation from within from within the world's resources 
we'll be able to dispel the darkness. If only we had the right ideas, if only we had the right ideology, if only we had the right medicine, we could cure, we could solve this and that problem. If only we came together for the common good of society, surely then we could dispel the darkness. Now, none of those things are a bad thing. None of those things don't show that we're not making progress, but they will not ultimately dispel the darkness. In his book entitled The Fulfillment, Timothy Tennant writes that the first sin was like a virus on a computer system, which spreads to the entire network. And of course, the only way it can be solved, the only way you can get rid of that virus, is it has to be professionally removed from the computer. The computer cannot sort out the virus itself. It cannot come from within. And if we want to fix our problems, light cannot come from the darkness. Hope cannot come from within. So where does hope come from? Well, look at verse 2. Look at these key words just at the beginning of verse 2. For those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Interestingly, it says, for those. It doesn't say from those. The light, the solution does not emerge from within the darkness, but it has to come from outside. Isaiah then points them to looking at their past, and he points these tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali, to remember, actually, they did have a really good history. They had a glorious past. Look at verse 4. Isaiah says to them, As for in the day of Midian's defeat, when you had shattered the yoke that burdens them, He's reminding them of the story of Gideon. And if you know the story of Gideon, you will know that, amazingly, he was able to defeat thousands of Midianites with just 300 mighty men. And many of those men came from the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali. Naphtali, in particular, is, leaves quite an imprint in the Old Testament of its achievements. It's praised in the Song of Deborah, for being, uh, having mighty warriors. It's also uh, the tribe that provided one of the major workers for the building of the temple. Of course, the point that Isaiah is trying to make to them is none of this really was their own doing. They weren't able to conjure up this power from themselves. No, it came from the outside. The light and the hope that was dawning was going to come from the outside. It comes from God's intervention. And then in verse 6, Isaiah not only offers a glimmer of hope, but then the great shining light, as we have that famous verse. Verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The good news here is, is not just that a child was born, but that a son is given. Because Christmas time is all about gifts. Do you like receiving gifts? It's all about the giving and receiving of gifts. And here we have God's gift to us in Christ. I wonder if you've got a Bible, if you could turn to Matthew 4, and please do leave a thumb or a finger in Isaiah 9, because we will obviously come back to it. But Matthew 4 tells us this wonderful description of the, thinking about these tribes that were in darkness, without hope, 
We're on the edge of society. And at Matthew 4, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, in verses 12 to 14, says this. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and he lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfil what was said for the prophet Isaiah. See, Jesus comes to those that are without hope and are in darkness. He comes as a gift. This dawning light comes to give direction, to give life in the land of those living in darkness. He comes to give freedom. So Christmas is all about realising that this, our solution to darkness does not come from within. It comes from this wonderful gift from above. I love that song that we sing, that modern carol, King of Kings, and the words in one of the verses where it says, In the darkness we were waiting, without hope, without light, till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes, to fulfil the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word, from a throne of endless glory, to a cradle in the dirt. I don't know what you're going to be doing this afternoon. I'm looking forward to finally having a bit of time to put out my Christmas lights. Who's put their Christmas lights out already? Well done, you keynotes. Um, but uh, perhaps if you haven't already put out your Christmas lights and later today or this week or maybe leave it till Christmas Eve, but whenever you get that opportunity, you start to put those lights out, maybe on the windowsill. And you have that lovely opportunity where you've just come back from a walk in the darkness and you flip on the lights. Just remember this afternoon, if it happens later, or whenever it does, remember Isaiah 9, that those who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. Praise be to God. Amen.